Welcome to Red Leg Nation Radio, your home for discussion and analysis of Cincinnati Reds baseball all year long. Now here's your host, Chad Dotson. Hello everyone, welcome back to Red Leg Nation Radio. This is episode number 217 of the world's most dangerous podcast. Joining me again this week, your friend and mine, the godfather of Red Leg Nation Radio, Bill Lack. How are you today, Bill? Well, sometimes you got to make them an offer they can't refuse. There yeah. we go. We're going to be talking about those offers you can't refuse at the trade deadline here in a little while. But uh, let's lead it off with uh, the news of the week, which is, uh, well, the Reds are playing well. We'll talk about that some. Continuing to play uh, relatively well in some respects. And uh, But this week the uh, National League All-Star team was announced. And back when the Reds were 3-18, and 18, we thought they may have to, you know, re- just change the rules so that no Reds got into the All-Star game. But... As it turns out, three Reds were named to the National League roster, and two of whom are first-time All-Stars, and uh, I'm a sucker for All-Star talk, so we're going to lead off with that just quickly. Obviously, Joey Votto made it for the sixth time, and uh, two guys that are making it for their first time, Scooter Jeanette and Eugenio Suarez. Um, you know, I'm happy for those guys making it for their first time. That's exciting stuff. I'm especially happy for Eugenio, who just... There's nothing to dislike about that guy, as far as I can tell. He's a hell of a play. He's turned into a hell of a player. They're, they're, he's making their signing of him to the contract look very good right now. Oh my goodness, looks fantastic. When we <laughs> sort of write the when we write the book about this rebuild, that's going to be a chapter by itself. Because if he play, keeps playing like this, the kid's just 26 still, and they've got him under yep. control for seven years. Oh my goodness, it's just a, a fantastic, fantastic move by the front office, and uh, so. Uh, that's exciting stuff. Watch the All-Star game. Glad Joey was uh, voted in by his peers, which was good. Uh, he's not having his best year. He's having a good year. Um, but uh, glad to see him recognized because he's yeah, Joey. Yeah I'm, not, yeah, I'm not sure he's the most. And, and without, I couldn't tell you who would, be a be, who would have been a better candidate at first base. But, you know, it, it, here's, here's one thing I'll tell you about Joey. I'll bet you he hits better in the second half than he did in the first half. He always seems to. And, you know, this year he's leading, he's leading the league in on-base percentage. So, I mean, he's, it's not like he's having a bad year. Oh, no, no, no. That, no. Just not a Votto year. It, it was funny. I have a, an old friend that lives in Cleveland. And, uh, I mean, I feel real bad for her just for that. But she was saying, you know, she said on, on the other night, posted during the game, said that Joey Votto is so overrated. I said, hon, you're really showing your ignorance. <laughs> he's underrated, if anything, right? I said, the guy's a future Hall of Famer, and by the time he retires, he's going to be the greatest Reds his, hitter in history. And that that enti- and, you know encompasses some pretty good ball players. Oh, yeah. He may already be that. If you, I mean, you can make an argument anyway, but certainly by the time he's done. Yeah. Um, just uh, astounding. Someone tweeted the other day about Votto, and we could spend an hour just loving on Joey Votto. We're not going to do that. We're going to move on to some other things. But someone tweeted the other day about Votto said, if you look him up, look up the all-time leaders for on-base percentage in the history of baseball. It's like Joey Votto and Barry Bonds and then a bunch of guys who look like they uh, charged up San Juan Hill. They all got black and white photos on uh, baseball reference. It's, just, it's crazy that he's one of the best hitters, you know, post-World War II anyway, in terms of on-base percentage. And people don't really realize he's up there with those greats. We're talking Ted Williams and, you know, uh, Rogers Hornsby. So just uh, an incredible Babe Ruth, incredible career he's had. And he's still... Good and I'm like you. I think he's going to really. We've seen this before. He's going to explode in the second half. It's happened the last three years, and I would not be surprised at all. And if that if that happens, he's an MVP candidate. 
Well, I think Suarez is an MVP candidate. Yes, absolutely. So, well, I was planning. Let me let me go ahead and just mention this because I was planning about on talking about it later. But uh, my piece at Cincinnati Magazine this week is about uh, Eugenio Suarez, and it's uh, it's entitled uh, the headline is Suarez already an exclusive company among Reds greats, which sounds crazy. But he's already, by the end of the season, I think he's going to be like in the top four, top five in wins above replacement for any third baseman in the history of the franchise. You know, right now he's, uh, it, it's crazy. Uh, Suarez is second in the league in slugging percentage, third in on-base percentage, fifth in home runs, sixth in batting average. Um, f- he's first in uh, a couple of these advanced metrics, WRC+, plus, uh, weighted runs created plus, WOBA, weighted on-base average, first in, in the National League in both of those. And leads the National League in RBIs, even though he's missed 16 games. It's just, to me, he is the MVP in the first half. I don't know that anyone in the league has hit as well as him. Yeah, but you're not, you aren't going to win the MVP playing for a team that started out three and whatever. Well, true, but Joey Votto came ahead of doing it last year. Of course, that's Joey Votto we're talking about. Well, and and, and that's not the – and who knows where the Reds are, you know, assuming they – you know, assuming maybe a huge assumption – that they continue to play well, you know, who knows, you know, how close they can get to 500. Yeah. It's not, you know, they got to go like 40 and 30 or something the rest of the way. Yeah, absolutely not. So, you know, if they can move uh, fourth place, third place, and, and if they do that, they're going to be playing a lot of good ball the rest of the way. I don't know. Now, is he going to keep hitting like this? <sighs> Maybe he's not hit like this before in his career, but on the other hand, he's just entering his prime. You know, he can be yeah. expected to, I, I didn't expect him to have this good in numbers, but uh, anyway, I'm I'm loving it. Love Eugenio Suarez. Happy for him. Happy for Scooter Jeanette. Absolutely deserves to be an All Star. Uh, leading the league in batting average. Uh, really exciting year. So, fun stuff. Something to watch during the Midsummer Classic. Yep. All right. So the Reds have been playing well lately, and you know there have been some ups and downs. They lost 19 to four, but the night before that they put up seven runs in the top of the ninth to, to grab a victory. And how, how much did, did Molly's ERA go up last night? Actually, his numbers weren't all that terrible. I mean, I mean, they're terrible, but I, I wasn't watching it, you know, and I, and I clicked over and saw it was 14 to nothing. And I, and, and Molly looked like he was crying on the bench. <laughs> I believe I'm not serious. He yeah. looked like he had tears. And, and, and uh, I, I, and it's no, it's, I'm not trying to insult the young man or anything. I, I think I'm, I'm a big fan. But I assumed he had given up, you know, 12 runs or whatever. Of course, you know, again, last night he didn't get a whole lot of help from his defense. He did not. His ERA uh, did go up from the low to mid threes up to 4.02 last night. So That's recoverable, though. Sure, absolutely. He's, he's, hey, I got no problems with Tyler Malley's down this year. Not one problem. But, you know, the, the, the defense, especially the infield defense, has not been stellar. No, and, and, and that's one thing you mentioned to me before we went on air. Especially the right side of that infield, it's you know we just talked about two all stars, but and they're both hitting incredibly well so far, but sort of brutal with the glove, right? Well, and I don't think Suarez is playing as good defensively no. as he did last year, and I don't know whether I, and you and I've talked about this before. I'm not a big believer in defensive metrics. I I'm an eyeball guy when it comes to defense. Peraza makes me crazy. Yeah, he lets so many balls get by him to the outfield that he should at the very least knock down. And he fields so many balls off to the side that he should. Suarez did that the other night on that ball he dropped. He backhanded a ball, went to backhand a ball for absolutely no reason. It wasn't even hit hard. 
he could easily have gotten over in front of it and fielded it in front of him. Instead, he backhanded it and then dropped it. And when it was a ball, he was going to throw to the plate. You know, that's just bad fundamental stuff. You know, and and I understand. You know, I know I'm sounding like the old guy that I am since I just had a birthday that ended in a zero. <laughs> but you know, the lack of fundamentals. You know, now I can say that because you know, but I I was a big fan of Pete Rose, and he swatted the ball in the out. You know, the, the, the Pete Rose in the outfield catch thing. And I can remember at least once when he did that, and the ball went down and went out and bounced off the. You know, but there's no excuse for bad fundamentals. Not at this level. True, and you hope that someone's, uh, you know, someone's telling them that on the coaching staff. I don't know, you know. Peraza and, and Suarez, both the, the metrics you know, treated Suarez very well last year. Peraza this year, they don't, he's not an elite defender, but the metrics look pretty good. Um, but I believe in, you've, you and I have had this discussion since uh, episode one, probably, of Red Leg Nation Radio, and here we are in episode 217. Uh, and, and you've always said, I don't trust those metrics. And, I, you know, I trusted them. I took, took them with a grain of salt, always have. But I thought, you know, it's at least some data that can uh, give us some idea. Uh, I, I, I'm not going to you know, quote them as the definitive be-all, end-all. But, but I'm starting to change my mind on that as well because I'm not sure these metrics are accounting sufficiently for the, all these shifts that are going on. And, and how, how, do you, how does that account? And I read a piece uh, this week, I can't remember where it was, just that said, the shifts are absolutely screwing up all the defensive numbers. So, you know, I don't know what to believe. Uh, I, I do know that Suarez has looked with the eye. He's not looked as good as last year. The metrics do bear that out somewhat. Parazza has had times where I thought he looked incredible. He's had times where he looked like he doesn't know what he's doing. Um, we talked about Parazza, uh, Jason Linden and I on the last podcast, and I think that he's doing some really good things with the bat. And uh, uh, Come a long way. He's come a long way. He really has. Um, and I'm not ready to give up on him yet. But... Uh, but I agree with you. Kid when he's twenty-four. No, no. Well, that's something you and I talked about. That when Barry Larkin was twenty-four, he made uh, twenty-nine errors at shortstop. Now, I'm not saying Jose Peraza is going to be Barry Larkin. Matter of fact, I will tell you definitively, Jose Peraza is not going to be Barry Larkin. But he, he does have to prove that he can stick short, uh, shortstop defensively, because that's you know that's uh, if he can, I think his bat may play well enough to keep him there. So, and that'll cause a real log jam in the Reds infield if he does prove that. Yeah, well, it gives them other opportunities or decisions to make. Right. Too many good players is a good problem to have. That's a that's a problem you always want to have. Yeah, so it, it's not a, not a bad thing at all to have that log jam. And uh, it's one fewer spot maybe that you have to fill. And it's, uh, you know, one more guy that you have available maybe to, to trade to help, uh, you know, fill the pitching staff or, or something. You know, it's, uh, I don't know, it's, it's, it's pretty exciting actually to watch what's happened with the uh, infield, or not just uh, the infield, but with the Reds' offense this year, and uh, chance of having some guys that are gonna, can be around for a while, who uh, can maintain this level of success, and or have guys behind them that can step in and you think be able to replace them. So it's it's an exciting time for the offense. Uh, I, I want to move to the pitching for a moment, though, Bill Lack, because this is going to be a fun discussion. The Reds' general manager Nick Crawl, I will say off the top here, I've spoken to uh, Nick Crawl, um, and I am. Uh, I like the guy. I think he's incredibly smart. I really do. I think he's uh, he's, he's very much open to uh, analytics. But he announced this week that Homer Bailey, who's been on a rehab assignment in AAA and had been pitching out of the bullpen once, or they moved him to the bullpen for maybe one outing or two, uh, it was announced that he's going to start two more games before his time is up on his rehab assignment, and then he's going to rejoin the Reds' starting rotation. 
<laughs> oh, how does this make? I've got some ideas, it makes but absolutely no sense. Uh, <laughs> other than they've got too much money invested in him, this is a decision I have to believe is coming from ownership. I I just have to believe it. Uh, I mean, they didn't even. You know, they said they sent him down to Louisville to, to, to try the bullpen thing, but they didn't even really try that. Nope. Because I don't think he ever – and I think Doug Gray talked about this on his site today or yesterday. Uh, they never had – they never tried him, you know, back-to-back days or, 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 you know, to see how he'd recover or anything like that. Now, I, I never believed it was going to work anyway because we talked about this – people had been talking about Bailey in the bullpen for years. And people that know a lot more about pitching and a lot more about Bailey than you or I do have said that it takes him too long to warm up, that he can't come back quick. You know, so that, I mean, those are just things that if, if you can't do those, you aren't gonna. It ain't gonna work in a bullpen. And and you and I, have, I think we talked about this the last time you had me on, is they don't know what the hell to do with Homer Bailey. I know if what he, to do with him. Well, yeah, it's easy to say when it's in your money. And when you don't have a guy writing the checks down the hall who can give you the gate. If, if it's, as you say, and that is a distinct possibility, it's not, uh, it's not insanity to suggest that it's uh, Bob Castellini calling the shots on this one. If that's as you say, then I, the amount of hope I have for the future of this franchise is drops substantially. Well, if, if let, let, let's, let's, Let's pontificate on the possibility that it's not a Castellini decision. Well, that's even what, worse. What logical explanation could there possibly be for it then? Uh, the only thing that I can think of is that it lets them kick the can down the road on giving some bad news to Homer Bailey. Uh, the, the money they're going to pay him, they're they're going to pay him that whether they let him pitch or not. Uh, you know, you can let him pitch poorly, or you can let him not pitch at all. Either way, he's going to get that paycheck. Um. So one thing is they, they're kicking the can down the road in hopes that, uh, you know, something will happen or that he's really not fully healthy. And maybe they can just place him, uh, you know, can put him on the disabled list again and then do another rehab assignment later. Or, you know, they're going to put him back in the rotation. They're really going to put him back in the rotation. And if that's the case, and if that's – I don't care whose decision it is. It's a dumb decision because if Matt Harvey is traded, as he should be, that will open up a spot in the rotation. If they don't fill that spot with Robert Stevenson, it makes who's who's doing well in AAA finally. It it makes no sense when it comes to this rebuild and what we're trying to learn this year. And it will be it will be it'll be evidence of something. I don't know if it's ownership. I don't know if it's front office. I don't know if it's both together. But it well, was, it, was, it was a, it's evidence of ineptitude in the franchise. Absolutely, it's evidence that someone is calling the shots that is not making decisions that are in the best interest of this franchise going forward. The best long-term interest. It may, you know, you could make the argument that it might be the best interest today. I don't, I don't think you can even make that argument. I, I, well, if, if they believe, if somebody believes that Bailey is going to be more successful this year than Stevenson, and they might win two more games, three more games, five more games, because of Homer Bailey over Stevenson. But why would you care? I, I, I'm I'm not trying to justify it. I don't get. I mean, I, I don't want him to lose a hundred, and I, I you know I and I want him to win ball games. I mean, because that's the that's the point. 
of this whole exercise. But I'm not disagreeing with you, but if Homer Bailey, and you said this, I think the last time we were on here, that if that if that last, if, if that spot in the in the rotation isn't filled by a young guy after July 31st, this franchise is is doesn't have a clue where it's where it's trying to go. And we can make the same argument about what's going on in the infield, and what and what's going on with. Nick Senzel, what went on with Senzel before he got hurt? Uh, you know what they're going to do with Jeanette, and you could even <laughs> extend it out to to uh, Adam Duvall and, and why he's still playing every day. Yeah, my my confidence in this front office, even though I do, I think Dick Williams and and Nick Craw, I think they they have a clue, but my confidence in either their ability to make decisions. Uh, you know, unfettered by ownership or, or whatever the issue is, took a big hit during the first month of this season. This team right now, pretty good offense, a young pitching staff that's starting to hold their own a little bit. Uh, it's exactly what I predicted before the season when I said that I thought they'd be a 500 team. It's exactly what I said was going to happen. I had no idea of knowing that the front office was just going to completely punt on the first month of the season and refuse to bring up Nixon Zell and, and to have guys like, Cliff Pennington and, and Phil Goslin and Giovanni Gallardo on the roster. I mean, Gallardo is the one that, that, that is absolutely unfathomable. I, I agree, but I think having Pennington and Goslin instead of you know Blandino and Sinzel, or even Blandino and, and Brandon Dixon, I think it's just it's a nobody would have expected those two, uh, Pennington and Goslin or Gallardo to be Gallardo better than uh, what if they'd had Dylan Floro up during that time, you know. Yeah. I mean, it's just uh, my, my my confidence in their ability to really move this uh, rebuild forward took a big hit. If they go forward with this on Homer Bailey, it'll take a further hit. I mean, you can't, you know, Stevenson's way outperforming what Bailey's doing. Bailey's got an ERA almost six at AAA. I mean, you know, I, maybe the uh, pitching coach looks at him that knows more about pitching than I do and says, oh, no, he's the numbers aren't fair to him. Uh, he's he's really he's he's pitching well right now. That's a possibility, you know. It happens, but I will just if if he gets another start for the Reds in his career, I will qu- seriously question, continue to question the seriousness of this franchise, or, or or their ability to make the right type of decisions. Yeah, that's what I worry about. That yep. even if they want to make the right decisions, they're being hamstrung by something. Yep. That uh, elephant in the room. Did you see the uh, Paul uh, Doherty uh, column earlier in the year where he talked about uh, his his meeting with uh, Castellini? He, he sat and talked with Castellini about everything. I, I think I did, but I don't remember it much. If it was in the Enquirer. I probably read it, but I, I well, the question it was in, it wasn't the Enquirer, and, and the question was put to him something like, you know, uh, are you in there imposing your will on what's what's happening? You know, is it uh, a situation where you're calling the shots, you're meddling as an owner? And he said something like, well, whenever we're in meetings, when I suggest something or put it forward nobody's disagreeing with me they're just we're all in agreement because nobody is taking issue with what i suggest so we go forward with that now what do you think of, that's like when the boss comes in and says here's what I, I think we should do something and nobody's willing to stand up and uh say okay uh maybe not uh you know something got the wrong guys in your front office or that he is meddling and he doesn't realize he's meddling or 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 he's the type of boss that 
people are afraid to disagree with. And, and, and I think I've told you this before. When my wife was a banker, she had to deal with him. And he is not a nice or easy man to deal with when it comes to business. Mm-hmm. I will tell you that. Right, and, and you can and just from those quotes that he had, it may, it may sound like somebody who is, you know, I don't know, I'm a tyrant or anything, but he's the boss, and he's and everybody knows he's the boss, and you know maybe you get the wrong guys that are are not willing to stand up to him, okay, but I kind of understand that too. If he, you know, um, who's, are you going to stand up to him at the risk of uh, losing your your job? You're going to lose your job anyway if you follow his uh, his. Uh, recommendations yeah. because they're going to lose sooner or later. He's going to have to, he's going to fire. Well, everybody in baseball gets fired. Yeah. But the owner can't get fired. Everyone else is, uh, that's right. Everybody ex- else is expendable except for Walt Jockety. Evidently who's still somehow in these conversations. Uh, I don't understand that. one. I think when he's dead, they'll still have a chair for him at a, t- you know, <laughs> in memoriam. Oh goodness. So you now, know, let's talk about this for a minute. The Reds, as you said earlier, the Reds are playing real good baseball. Yeah. People are getting a little more excited down at the ball yard, the fan, you know, the normal fan, you know, the regular everyday fan, not not the Red Leg Nation type fans, but the oh, we're more excited too, though. Oh, absolutely! But if the Reds let, let's assume the Reds let not assume let's 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 say the Reds trade Scooter Joe Fan at the ballpark is going to lose his mind. This is so funny. Um, I, I don't know if you were listening earlier. I was talking on ESPN uh, radio with James, my buddy James Rapine, uh, just earlier today. And, and he said, what happens if they trade Scooter Jeanette and Billy Hamilton? And, and my response was similar to yours. I said, if, if they do that, you and I, Bill, we may look at it and say, oh, okay, that's a good trade. They brought back a lot that can really fast forward this uh, this rebuild and, and fill some spots that needed to be filled. And we're like, okay, I get it. I like Scooter and I like Billy, two of my favorite players. But uh, I get it. But you're right. Joe Fan that goes down to the ballpark is going to be out of his mind. And the guys that call into the talk radio shows are going to be out of their mind, aren't they? Yeah, the, you know, the, the, the you know, WLW, will, will, their ratings will go through the roof. <laughs> right. Uh, I don't feel like that much as much if they trade Billy, even though he's playing very, very well right now. He is, but he's still a fan favorite. Yeah, but... I, don't yes, say, don't you, don't you say anything bad about Billy Hamilton on my podcast. Then I gotta go. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, you're right. You're right. Uh, you know, but you, you know, you can make the you can make the and I've said all along that that I would not have a problem with trading Scooter Jeanette or signing him for the right numbers. Yeah, you can make a good decision either way on that one, I think. Yeah, and you can make a bad decision either way. But if they train him, they better get somebody that's going to help them next year. Yes, we're not getting a single-A guy. Yeah, you know, a low-A, high-A guy, you know, blah, blah, blah. Uh, um, and, and going back to something you talked about last time, the Reds continue to not move their guys along in the minor leagues. I know. I still, I don't, they're not listening to me, evidently, are they? Uh, uh, I can't even – anyway. You know, but if they, get, if, they, if they trade Jeanette and they get a, a you know – Let's say Jeanette or Iglesias, or Jeanette and Hamilton or Iglesias, and they get a guy that could be a two starter next year, and for the next three or four years, yeah, and that's got a lot of team, got some team control. Hey, I'm all for it. And, and that you know, and, that, and then you give Senzel a place to play. You know, 
Yeah. It, it makes it makes a lot of sense if they can get something like that. Certainly it's worth it. Well, here, here's my point as well. Let me know what you think about this, Bill. If they trade those guys, if they trade Scooter, if they trade Billy, if they trade Roselle Iglesias, Joe Fan is going to get upset and he's going to scream. But Scooter Jeanette and Billy Hamilton and Roselle Iglesias are with the Reds now, and people aren't coming to the ballpark. Cause, I mean, attendance is way off. If they if they get good return on those guys and it helps them to win as soon as next year, that's going to get. I'm saying Joe Fan will forgive them really quickly if they if they make the right moves and, and the Reds start winning. That's what gets butts into the seats. Winning solves all the problems. Absolutely. And while we're talking about the trade deadline and stuff, explain to me why Duvall is still playing every day. Because he uh, is an All Star who's had 30 home runs each of the last two years. Or he's being showcased and they're hoping somebody takes him. Okay. You know, he has... Uh, you, you notice, his, when was the last time Jesse Winker finished a game that he played in the outfield? <laughs> Never. <laughs> Which, you know, he's not a great defensive player. I'm willing to concede that, but... Me too. I sure like having his bat in the ninth inning of a close game. Yeah, but when you come back around in the lineup and you've and, and you got Adam Duvall hitting in his spot... Adam Duvall's batting average is over 200 now. Come on, Bill. It's 201. Yeah, and his on-base percentage is just going over 280. Let me ask. That's good. Um, let me ask you this. Yeah, when, when your on-base percentage is 30 points, 33 points below Billy Hamilton's, Yeah, you might be a redneck. No, I mean, that's the wrong. That's a different thing. Yeah, sorry. Let me ask you this but, tri- trivia question, Bill. Wait, 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 before you go on, though, but I want to say this. Before the season started, we said that they needed to get Winker five to 600 plate appearances. He's on pace for that. Yeah. So to be fair, I mean, it's not like he's never playing. Right, right. But I don't think he's playing enough for a 24-year-old kid that's doing as well as he's doing. 24-year-old kid with a 123 OPS plus, 23% yeah. above the league average. Well, okay, What I, the, the trivia question I was going to ask you was related to, to what you just mentioned, actually, because we're on the same wavelength, Bill Lack. That's scary. Uh, it really is scary. More school for you than for me. No, no, no. <laughs> which of the Reds' four-headed outfield monster, which of those four players has the most at-bats this season? Well, I'm sitting here looking at baseball <laughs> reference. So Look at bats. At-bats. Uh, Billy does. No, no. You're looking at plate appearances. Oh, you're right. I am. Adam Duvall has... Duvall has 284. Billy has 283. Right. So, uh, either way, the two least productive offensive outfielders have the most, have the most at-bats. They also have the most plate appearance. And they have the most, they're within one of each. Um, they're within one of them. Yeah. It's just flip-flop. So, the two most productive offensively, by far, Scott Shebler's been great. Jesse Winger's been great uh, offensively. Duvall and Hamilton have not, obviously. Um, but yet they have the most plate appearances, and, and I just, that frustrates me. You're right. Winker is getting an opportunity to play. He's not languishing on the bench. Shebler is getting a chance to play and showing that he deserves a chance to play. But it, it to, to go back to your original premise, Adam Duvall, I like the guy. I loved watching him in the home run derby. He, you know, he's he, he hits long home runs, but he is a glorified fourth outfielder. And that's what he needs to be. And there's no shame in him being a fourth outfielder who, uh, I don't, I'm going to say defensive replacement sometimes, but a pinch hitter, a big power bat late in the game. 
I don't know why we're still pretending unless they're trying to showcase him, but I don't know that it's working if they're show. Although he has 57 RBIs, so maybe someone will be compelled by that. Uh, and, 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 you know, I don't know how much their truth is to, to what they're saying on the television broadcast. They were talking about teams being interested. We'll wait and see. Uh, hopefully the Reds aren't asking too much for him. Well, maybe not. I mean, I hope not yet. Although, the reason I say fourth outfitter, I don't mind them keeping him around. He's still under team control for another three years and very cheap. I, I don't disagree if, if used what, right. If, if he's a fourth I outfitter. The more I watch the less confident I am that he he knows how to use his team. And, and oh, my God, if, if, I wish he'd forget the bunt sign. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Someone needs to eliminate that bunt sign. He loves a bunt. I, but unless the pitcher is batting, why you would ever bunt with Billy Hamilton on first base is beyond me. And he did it like three times in a week here recently. I know. It makes no sense. But let Billy Hamilton steal second. I, I, I want to talk about your guy. I, I want to talk about how great your boys, your guy has been lately. I almost did it. Uh, Billy? The last, the last 28 days. Thank you. 346 batting average. 402 on base percentage. 436 slugging, which is even, I mean, he's had an 838 OPS in the last month. Oh, my. And he even started to steal more bases, too. Yeah, he stole 12 bases. He is a comic book superhero, Bill. If, if Billy Hamilton could put up a 400 on base percentage for an entire season, he would be an MVP candidate. Well, you know, and if I had wings, I could fly. Well, and if, well, and if frogs had wings, they wouldn't butt, they would hit their little butts when they exactly. But, but you know what? How about this? Think about this. Let's say you uh, have Parazza turns out to be a decent offensive player at shortstop, and um, or Senzel takes over shortstop, or Senzel plays third, and Suarez moves over to shortstop, or you know some combination of that to where you don't have really a weak spot offensively on the infield. And you got Winker and Shebler on your corners. Can't you almost accept this Billy Hamilton with a three fourteen on base percentage in center field as good as he plays defense? If he's I, if, you're, if you're batting him ninth, probably yes. I think so. I, I mean, I, I you know, I've always said the the on base percentage minimum with Billy that I could suffer through was about three twenty, but this is close enough. I could I could deal with it. Now, of course, the, the issue with that, and even I have to concede, is he's going to get a little expensive here soon. And, and you know how many yeah. you want to pay for that, but but just in, in the abstract, I think you could live with that. You know, plus I don't disagree. Plus, he's a comic book superhero. Yeah, he's the best. Can we move on to something else now? Before yes. before I say something that you won't like, <laughs> that's a good you, idea. Can you, can you fire me? <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you can take the cut in pay if I were to fire you. So you better get in line, Bill. I thought you double my pay. I was thinking about it, but not anymore. You're mildly <laughs> criticizing Billy Hamilton, oh. favorite player. Uh, okay, so what do you want to move on to? I'm going to give you the choice of the next topic here. Why don't you pick something for us? Oh, well, let's talk about whether the Reds, and again, we're going back to the rebuild thing, but have they learned anything this year for next year? Well, if you're going to let me answer it first, my, I think yes. Have we learned as much as I would have liked to have learned? No. But I think we're learning a lot about Luis Castillo and Tyler Malley and Sal Romano. I think we've learned an awful lot about Jose Peraza. I think we've learned that Scooter Jeanette's not a fluke with the bat, and so you have a better idea of what his value is. I think you've learned that Shebler and Winker can justify 
being being in the conversation for the the outfield on the next good Reds team. So, you know, I, I think we've learned. I think we've learned a good bit. What do you think? I don't disagree with any of that. You're going to Senzel, aren't you? But I don't think those were the the questions that we had that needed to be. Well, I won't say that the pitching the pitching stuff definitely were were questions we needed answers, and we we said that all along. Um, but I I don't think I, the I don't think the Reds had questions about whether Jesse Winker was going to hit. Right. I don't think they had questions about whether Scott Shebler was going to hit. Really? Yeah, you're I think they right. may have had questions about whether Scott Shebler could play enough center field that their four-headed monster would work. Mm-hmm. And he hasn't been great, but he hasn't hurt them, I don't think, when he, the days he's played out there. No, you I know, agree. They, they, they haven't put him in center field in the, in the big outfields that I remember. Um, i put Scooter in left and have Shebler in, the, in center field every day, to be honest with you. What about your guy, Billy? Well, Billy Pitch or something. <laughs> well, I thought that's what Blandino's new calling was. <laughs> yeah, really. Alex Blandino striking out two batters in one inning. Exciting. Uh, I, that that was when I, I was thinking about Shenzel coming up to play second. I'd say move Scooter to the left and let Shebler try it at center field because, uh, again, we need to learn more about whether he can handle it. And if he can't, okay, move him back to the corner. But so I, I think the two things that I wanted to learn, the pitching's one, and I think yeah. they've learned a lot, but I also think, we don't know what Robert Stevenson is. His numbers in AAA aren't bad, but he's not getting a chance on the big league level. And, and that's okay for now. I can handle it now. But if he, the whole second half of the season he's not getting a chance on the big league level, I think you've missed a big opportunity to see if this guy, the former number one pick, can be a guy in the mix. Who you've touted for years. Yes. Yeah, I mean, a, a huge prospect. And it, it, it circles back to, to Homer Bailey if they – they take his, Robert Stevenson starts and give him to Homer Bailey. I, oh gosh, I'm going to cancel the podcast. You lie. Well, that might make people happy. Actually, <laughs> it'll disappoint the one of you that listen. Hi, mom. Oh, both of them. Uh, right. Yeah. So um, the other thing is, I don't think we really learned as much as we should have about Nick Senzel, did we? I don't think we learned anything about Nick Senzel. Well, we learned that he's I legit. Think, I think- well, I don't. Who who had who had a question about that? Nobody that I know of that or that I've read. You know, no sports writer I've read. Nobody in the Reds organization. They all knew that this kid was was the real deal. That's fair. That's fair. But, but the question the question going in was, where is he going to play? And and they played him at spots that he'd already played. I so mean, they didn't learn that. They didn't learn anything. And. Unless they're going to trade Jeanette or move Jeanette. But the other thing they didn't learn, because now he's out for the season and they missed an opportunity, golden opportunities, to call him up earlier in the year. They didn't learn, they didn't give him an opportunity to learn at the big league level so that he would be ready to hit the ground running next year when hopefully they will be more competitive. They'll have a chance of being in the mix. I just don't understand the idea of not giving him four months or five months to you know, be on a big league roster, learn what it's like to be a major leaguer, learn okay. from learn from the guys that are there, and then hit the ground running next year. I could have understood if they'd have brought him up for Suarez when Suarez was hurt. No, I, I was very loud in yeah. saying that. Uh, he but but done. when but once Suarez was healthy again, what would you have done with him? Well, I would have brought him up and played him at shortstop. 
but that's why they don't let me make those decisions. Well, and we're you and I are assuming that he that he can play shortstop, and and if he could play shortstop, why wasn't he playing shortstop in AAA? Uh, well, it's a good. He did. He played like a game. He played a game there. <laughs> what I would immediately and they quickly said, "Well, this is just a one-time thing." Uh, right. You know, said, "Well, are we are we learning something here? Because God knows we don't want to learn anything." <laughs> you know what I would have been doing. I would have gotten him four starts a week. Let him spell Peraza tw- a couple times at shortstop. Let him spell Scooter and, and Suarez at second and third. Uh, or, you know, some combination, wherever you put him. I don't think he has had to be, and some people disagree with this, and it's a reasonable disagreement, that if you're going to bring your guy up, he needs to be playing every day. Okay, I think there would be value in having a, a rotation, sort of like they did in the outfield, with the infielders. And, you know, you can get him four games a week that way and let him get accustomed to the major leagues. And at some point you're either going to trade scooter and he can play the rest of the year, or, you know, uh, he's going to demand, he's going to hit so well that you have to keep him in the lineup and at the expense of whoever Peraza, I guess. So I don't know. I, I just think it's a, it was a, a year they could have learned so much about him and given him a base to build on for next year when they're really going to need him. And, and they didn't, they, they squandered that opportunity. I think. I, I I understand your point, but but I think on a much more logic or logical isn't the right word, but the, a much more I don't even know what the word is I'm trying to find, but a, a, meat thermometer is the word you're looking for. <laughs> no, it's house and pepper. <laughs> okay, uh, but I mean, most people believe that he was going to be a AAA for most of the year. Whether he should have been or not is a different question. But let, let's assume that the Reds had made the decision that he was going to spend up to September or August or after the trade deadline or something in AAA. They still didn't learn anything by having him at AAA. Because of where they had him playing. Exactly. So that's what's frustrating to me was, you know, but I'm assuming the Reds had decided, and, and I think it's, it's you can make the case because they didn't bring him up when Suarez got hurt. That they weren't going to bring him up until later in the year, if at all, in 2018. But they still wasted the, the the chance to see what positions he could play. You know, throw him out in the outfield for a few days. Yeah, yeah, play him around the uh, field in AAA. What I mean, are you hurting? I was a third baseman when he came to the Reds and turned into a pretty darn good left fielder. Yeah, yeah. I don't see any reason why Senzel can't. Well, Kyle Schwarber with the Cubs. Yep. You know, they move him around. They move all their guys. Chris Bryant's played in the outfield some. I mean, and at AAA, there's no downside to it. I, th- I think I disagree with the assumption that people thought that he was going to be down there all year. I think people thought that he was going to be up after uh, the Reds had secured the, the rights to an extra year of his uh, on think, the team control. But I think a lot of people didn't assume that Scooter Jeanette was going to – I think everybody thought he was a fluke. Yeah. yeah. So things changed, but still, use the opportunity to learn something. They know nothing about Nick Senzel. I think you're right. They know nothing about Nixon's L going into next year's opening that they didn't already know this year, and it's a wasted opportunity. Yep. How, fr- how frustrated will you be if he's not on the opening day roster next year? Not as frustrated as you. You and I have already talked about this off camera. I'm going to go nuts. I, I, see, to me, if, if it's just a two-week thing, it won't bother me. I, I, I will understand everybody's frustration with it, but for another year of team control, I absolutely understand it. Well, I agree. It should be foremost in our uh, – as w- whether we can save Bob Castellini a few million dollars. That's not my point. But my point is, that's what's going to happen. 
and it doesn't bother it doesn't bother me. It bothers me if they are serious about competing. Have the best twenty five guys here. Period. Okay, we'll argue about that next opening day when he's not on the. Nobody does that. Yeah. Well, I don't care. <laughs> what, what do I care about that? I would have the best twenty five guys here, and whether that means. Uh, Sinzel's on the opening day roster, whether it means that they've traded for Chris Archer and he's here, whether they've signed Manny Machado, whether they've gone out and gotten that one big pitcher that I really think they need to get. Um, it's not Kershaw. What's his name? Um, oh, yeah. Luis Alberto Bonilla. He's available, isn't he? <laughs> I don't know. His Korean team may not let him may not let him go. Have you, have you been keeping up on his stats? How's he doing over there? Oh, yeah. Let's not talk about it. He's better. Than his, he's better than his stats show. Yeah, so am I. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me too. But but I, I am going to be upset on opening day, and we'll save this for opening day next year when we'll both be railing. I'll be railing about it. And you'll be trying to calm me down because I just, uh, I, from my perspective, I don't care about Bob Castellini's money. He has money. He's got a billion dollar franchise here, a billion plus dollars that he paid uh, you know two hundred some million for, uh, you know, that the ownership group did. I, I can't get concerned about a couple million, to be honest with you, that they're going to have to pay extra for him. And if he justifies sticking around, the Reds want him to stick around that last year, then they're going to want to sign him to a long-term deal anyway, and that last year is not going to mean as much. So they're going to try to buy it out. So I just, I don't, I don't like it. It's cynical. And and uh, have I mentioned I don't like it? I would think you'd get tired of being wrong. <laughs> oh, I'm never wrong. <laughs> no one ever tells me I'm wrong. One more thing before we go. Yeah. And I haven't seen this too much lately, but this talk of taking the interim off of Riggleman. Do we have to mention that? Just, just, just stop. <laughs> well, if Gene Riggleman's the, the manager of this team next year, once again, I will say they've given up. Or they're not serious about putting the best team yeah. on the field. And, and which Billy Hatch, the third base coach, the oh. same thing. He is... Oh my God, he's atrocious! <laughs> no, seriously, tell me what you think about Billy Hatcher's third base. I think I, I think Billy is probably a very <laughs> nice, a very good man, and and probably a good coach. World Series hero, but a terrible third base coach, mm. just horrendous. I guess I don't know how to compare him to other third base coaches because maybe other teams see this and we just don't follow him as well. But no, it, Alex Grammis, I'll tell you that. Oh, there you go. <laughs> um, about Riggleman, I think even if you're the the world's biggest Jim Riggleman fan. And I'm sure there's one of those out there. I don't know. But his wife, his kids. Maybe, uh, you know. But even if you're the biggest fan and you think he deserves to be the guy, I think you've got to I'm, – I'm comforted by the fact that uh, Director of Baseball Ops, uh, Dick Williams, has said uh, repeatedly now and in recent days that they're, they're going to conduct this full-scale search in the offseason for a manager, which they should do. And Riggleman, I don't have any problem with Riggleman being one of those candidates for that. No problem at all, because I don't think he's going to come out of it looking very good. Well, I don't. I don't care if you're a candidate. Well, I should be a candidate. No, you. You want the GM job? Mm, I don't know. I'd like to put on those tight pants and sit in the dugout every day. You can be. You, you know what? You got all that money. Why don't you buy the team and you can pull a Ted Turner? Oh, all that uh, fancy podcast money. We'll spend that on the on the right. uh, all that fancy, all that big podcast money. Oh man, I'll. Whew. You're going to have to be my third base coach. 
No, yeah, I, I, I want to be bench coach. I don't want to have to go out there. <laughs> you don't want to walk out there in those uh, tight pants in front of everyone? Well, you know the other thing is this. One of my problems with the Reds' current coaching staff is all the guys that they brought up when they fired Price are older than I am. Yeah, yeah. It just, is this the team? They need, they need to, to uh, go a little younger with their coaching staff. Well, that's something I said to Rapine, uh, James Rapine earlier when I was talking to him uh, on ESPN 1530. I think that, you know, if they do a full-scale search like they haven't done since uh, – Bob Boone was the last one, the, the last managerial search they had where they interviewed more than one person, which is just – it's a ridiculous way for a billion-dollar corporation to do business. But They didn't do that when they hired Dusty? No. He was the only candidate they interviewed. And Dick Williams uh, said that in an interview with Buster Olney, I think, this uh, this week of ESPN. So if they go through a full-scale rebuild with a full-scale managerial search with Riggleman as one of the candidates – and if Riggleman really emerges from that search as the best available candidate, well, okay, give him the job. I just I can't imagine that he will be the best available candidate for that job. And I think they will end up with some somebody younger, somebody because that's the that's the trend across baseball. Someone that's younger and someone that is open to uh, listening to what the stat guys say. I really think that's who they'll end up with. And maybe I'm having too much confidence in the front office. Uh, having a, hiring Jim Riggleman who has a losing record as a major league manager who's what in his, I don't know, late fifties, sixties. I don't know how old he is, but he's uh, you know, he's not really the next generation that will really, I'm like you, that will be, that'll be sort of an inflection point. When well, I, the other thing I think will be, will be a, a telling point is how much money they're willing to pay a manager. Well, that's why kind of why I actually, I think it'd be sort of a young hotshot guy. If they, if they go cheap, they'll get somebody like Riggleman. If he's a young up and comer, he's going to cost a little bit of money. Maybe not. Maybe not if he's young. Maybe. Well, it depends. On, I mean, if he's coming off somebody else's staff, where he's going to have a, you know opportunities, and if they pluck some out of the minor leagues or something, maybe. But you know, they're not going to get a Girardi or somebody like that cheap. No, no, absolutely not. I'll tell you who I think they should get. Let me give you a name. Here's who I think they should get. Get ready to agree with me, as you usually do. Are you going to tell me somebody I don't even know who they are? No, you know this person. Okay. A legend in franchise history. One of the greatest infielders this franchise has ever seen. Chris Sabo. No, I'm talking, of course, about Ray Knight. Oh. <laughs> bring back Ray Knight. Bring ba- Let's start the hashtag. <laughs> Hash Brown, bring back Ray Knight. Yeah, because that worked so well the first time. Oh, it worked great. What do you think? Ray Knight? Worst Reds manager of your lifetime? Who's the worst Reds manager of your lifetime? Vern Rapp. Vern Rapp. Boy, you went deep into the archives for 1983. Vern Rapp. Yeah, that's easy. I mean, I, 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 can't, I got that quick, didn't I? You did. You were on top of it. You didn't even know that question was coming. Yep. Worse than Bob Boone or Ray Knight? Yep. I don't know. Boone, I think, is, I think it's Boone for me. Boone was terrible, but Knight was. I think Rapp was worse. Okay. Uh, in the you, know, you, know, you know who's the most underrated manager, in my opinion? It was John McNamara. He was underrated. He got a bad rap because he followed the legend. Yep. Do you think that McNamara, if we exclude Sparky Anderson, do you think McNamara is the best Reds uh, manager since Sparky, let's say? No, McKeon. Really? That's not who I would say. I think McKeon's up there. Actually, probably Davey Johnson. That's who I would say, Davey Johnson. Lou, you know. Yeah, Lou was great. But I'll tell you what, I think McKeon's underrated as a Reds manager. I agree. They, they played pretty good ball for McKeon. And, and one thing, a talent. No, and he was the, like sort of the forerunner of getting creative with your bullpen. People didn't do that back then. Yep. Uh, the Scott Williamsons of the world. 
you, well, you know, I think people talk about the, the, the bullpen stuff, but, you know, the, the creativeness with the bullpen. And look at the big red machine. Look what Sparky did with this, the bullpen. Oh, yeah. Hey, that big red machine was pretty good. They were all right. They, they were fun to watch. And... Davey Johnson, and we've gone completely off the rails here, but Davey Johnson, I do think he, if, if Marge Schott hadn't run him out of town because he was living with his girlfriend instead of getting married to her, yep. if Marge hadn't run him out of town, I think the Reds win a World Series in the mid-'90s. Wouldn't surprise me. I mean, you know, they were in the National Championship Series in 95 under, under Davey, and he was just – that's the last Reds manager that I really – well, McKeon, I guess McKeon. A lot, Davey's the last one I completely agree with just about everything he did. I mean, that guy was great. Yep. He was a really good manager. He's got an autobiography out from Triumph Books. Um, there's another book uh, uh, from Triumph Books that's out on the shelves. Have you read the, the other one I'm talking about, Bill? Um. These two guys wrote it. I can't remember their names. The Big 50, The Men and Moments That Made the Cincinnati oh, Reds by Chad Dotson and Chris Garber. I'm writing his coattails, but uh, but anyway, go out and buy it. Well, spe- speaking of, of uh, you've mentioned the book, maybe think about you guys doing your book signing down at the Hall of Fame, which you said really, 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 really well. That was great. And, and that's really cool. And, and the Hall of Fame is coming up. And I'm going to be at the ballpark that day. Oh, yeah? Very excited about that. And they're putting... Two of our big guys, two of our favorites. Absolutely. And friend of Red Leg Nation, Freddie Norman. Who, who, who has been on uh, the podcast. You interviewed him in a memorable I, interview that I, I'm, I'm going to repost a, it. I did a fun interview with Freddie Great. Norman. Well, we had to break. It was so long, we had to break it into two, I think. Yeah, I'm going to post both of those. Uh, and, and they were in the run up to uh, it was it was a great interview. I mean, and, and if you want to see somebody that came to a team and made an impact immediately. Yeah, I think he threw three shutouts. Yeah, something like that. I remember we talked. I remember talking about it. it was at that either, time. It was either two and he got into the ninth inning against the Dodgers and say hit a home run of the third or he hit th- or it was three and that happened in the fourth. I think he threw two shutouts in his first two starts for the Reds. And then he had a shutout in the ninth when Ron Say hit a home run off of him, and they and they still won. I mean, when he came over to the Reds, he he immediately made an impact on the rotation, and, and talk, he was a he was a really good pitcher for the Reds. And talk about underrated people don't oh. know Fred Norman. Nope, it's a shame. Little guy that threw a screwball. Yeah. Yeah. And nobody throws a screwball anymore. Well, we're gonna. I'm gonna repost that at Red Leg Nation. I'm also gonna throw those back into the uh, the podcast feed as well. If you're subscribed to the podcast, you'll you'll get to hear those uh, those Freddie Norman interviews because they're they're just they're they're fantastic. So um, and our other and our other guy yes. Adam, you know Adam Dunn, who is both your and my some of my, one of my all time favorite Reds. I'm, way up there, absolutely. I love the way he hit. I love the sense of humor. I love the fact that he didn't take himself too, too seriously. And I love the fact that when you talk to somebody like John Fay or, or, or some of these people that are in the clubhouse, they said he never ducked. When he had a bad game, he was standing in front of his locker and answered every question. When he had a good game, he was standing in front of his locker. That, that, that's a man. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, he, uh, Adam, Adam Dunn is one of um, – he will always be one of my favorite Cincinnati Reds. Also, I think underrated by a pretty big segment. Of, uh, of Reds fans, you and I have talked. We've talked about that at length. Why we think that is? Yeah, we could go back to the archives from like the first fifty <laughs> episodes of the podcast, and you <laughs> yeah, and I are talking about some, that constantly. Yeah, yeah. There was usually some Adam Dunn content in there, right? Absolutely, because well, he's a Reds Hall of Famer. I mean, he he's a great career. And actually, if you go out and pick up uh, Cincinnati Magazine this uh, month, 
I don't know if you've seen this yet, Bill. You need to run out and grab one as soon as we're finished with this pop- podcast if you haven't. But uh, they're running an excerpt from the Big 50 Cincinnati Reds in there, and, and it's uh, our chapter on Adam Dunn because, you know, I couldn't write a book about the Reds without having a chapter about Adam Dunn. And no. and so they're running an ex- that chapter as an excerpt for uh, leading up to his Hall of Fame induction. They did a beautiful a version, huh? I will have to pick that up. Yeah, they did a beautiful job with the layout, and they had some artwork with it. And just I'm ex- uh, really appreciate. It. I love those guys at Cincinnati Magazine. They've been really good to me, and really nice to publish that uh, excerpt for me. And uh, and and I'm really happy with how that turned out. But it's but it's about it's the Dunn chapter, and it's uh, I love that guy. So excited for and you know Dave Bristol, another guy that's underrated. It's also getting inducted. I was going to say we can't we can't sign off here without talking about Dave Bristol. Absolutely. Uh, without many people that were around at that time, will tell you there there wouldn't have been a big bread machine without Dave Bristol. Yeah, you know, John Ring is one of our writers at Red Leg Nation, and he does a lot of historical stuff. And he's running a series about the 1968 team right now, a season long series. And uh, he also is doing some some pieces where he's reached out to to old Reds, and uh, to, to talk about Freddie Norman and Dave Bristol specifically leading up to the Hall of Fame. And those pieces will be coming at uh, Red Leg Nation at, uh, over the next few weeks. But uh, he, he talked to Pete Rose. He talked to a bunch of guys. And he says, you will not believe what, how complimentary guys like Pete Rose were about Bristol and Norman. Just nothing but great things to say. And especially Bristol, who, uh, you know, I guess he was, uh, he wasn't Pete Rose's first manager, was he? No, Fred, Fred Hutchinson was his. Actually, he came, he came in the big leagues, you mean, or in minor leagues? In the big leagues. Oh yeah, but Bristol, that's what it was. Bristol had him in the minor leagues too, right? I think Bristol had him in the minor leagues, but Hutchinson was his first manager in the big leagues. Yeah, Bristol was uh Johnny Bench's first manager. But uh but yes. Br- yeah, Bristol was a really good manager who just uh, I don't know, a little bit before his time and so uh Sparky got a lot of the credit for the for the big red machine, but, but Bristol had a hand in that, absolutely. Sparky was a pretty good manager. Though. Sparky was all right. I mean, you know, he was <laughs> probably also underrated. Uh, frankly, and, and no one underrates Sparky. Fantastic. It's funny, like, you know, Sparky said that about uh, Johnny Bench uh, when someone compared Thurman Munson, the Yankees catcher, Thurman Munson. Don't, don't 76 series, yeah. yeah. Don't don't embarrass any catcher by comparing them to John Bench. Well, let's not let's not embarrass anyone by comparing them to Sparky because he's he's the best. Well, speaking of John, did you, did you, there's, a, there's an, an article in Sports Illustrated. It was online last week. They did a, a really interesting article about Johnny Bench now at, at 70, I think he is. And he has two fairly young kids. He's a single dad. So it was a very interesting article. If you haven't read it, go out and find Sports Illustrated online and, and see if it's still there. It was It's a good read. It's still there because uh, you mentioned, you texted me uh, uh, last week or whenever it was and mentioned that, and I pulled it up. I haven't actually read it yet, but I've got it pulled up in my on my browser windows here. So uh, I'll be ha- happy to read that. What do you think, uh, Bill? If we... Uh, I think we beat it to death today. Have we beat it to death? We tend to do that, don't we? <laughs> yeah, we do. You know, I've, I've been going through and trying to put together the history of Red Leg Nation Radio, and here we are, 217 episodes in, and I've been uh, sort of reliving some of the old ones, and I'm going to repost some of the old ones, and I, and I found some fun ones from the from the past. We've had a really good time with this, and I, and I found one I didn't remember. You interviewed Jesse Winker when he was like in, in Dayton, I guess. Yeah, I think he was in Dayton. Uh, I had talked to him. I think I talked to him when I was up at the ballpark one night or, or – emailed him or something i can't remember how i even got in touch with him um and he was kind enough to come on and he's always said he'd come back i mean i've still got his phone number somewhere uh and and he uh was a very nice you know very nice young man and you could tell he had his eye on the ball uh 
it's a good interview to read. We, you know, we did some. We, we, we were very lucky in, in meeting a lot of nice people up, up there at Dayton. Jesse, Tucker, uh, Devin Mazzarocco, Jay Bruce. Jay Bruce, yeah. Um, you know, you know, and, and plus some of our other spotlight guys that never made the big leagues, Matt Clinker and and, and uh, Logan Parker and, and mm-hmm. a number of others. Right, yeah, no, that's fantastic. So I'm going to be posting some excerpts from uh, uh, at com of some of the older episodes and just to help some of you that are newer to the podcast. See, uh, we've had a pretty good run here, Bill, and it's been a lot of fun, hasn't it? Yeah, when was the first one? 2007. Holy cow. 2007, it was an interview that you did with uh, Thomas Pauly, who was a res minor yeah, leaguer at that I, time. I listened to that one after you told me about it. Yeah. And then I that in his house down in Sarasota, I went over and met him at his house. Yeah, and that was the first. That was the first episode. It's a little different. And the second one was a really fun one that still holds up pretty well. Was uh, when we went to, to the Reds Hall of Fame right after they'd opened the Reds Hall of Fame and talked with Greg Rhodes, team historian. At that time, I think he was running the Hall of Fame, and yeah. uh, that was a fun episode too. Yes, it was. I, re- I didn't. You told again. That's another one you reminded me of, and I didn't realize that that was that early. I thought we were further along than that. But that was a great. Greg's a great guy. Gosh, he he, he likes to talk as much as you and I do, <laughs> and that's saying something because we can't stop. Uh, yeah, no. So a lot of a lot of fun ones, and, and Freddie Norman. We you talked about. I mean, you know, Tom Browning. We've had Barry Larkin on the on the podcast. It's been a fun. Jim fun Maloney. Run. Jim Maloney. Oh my gosh, yes, absolutely. So that was a great one. And the, the uh, one with Browning, though, the, the one with Browning still amazes me. Uh, his memory of his first start in the big leagues. He remembered like seven of the eight starters, and there weren't many every yeah. day, household names in that group. Right. I, I was shocked. That was a good one. Um, so you can find all those archives at redlegnation.com. Just click the RN podcast link up at the top left, and you'll find But there's just so many fun ones. The one that, that got away that I still want you, you just mentioned Johnny Bench, but I actually had a uh, – we had an agreement set. We had a time set up that uh, he was supposed to call in. And uh, we were going to do a podcast and or an interview. It was going to be a short one, probably, but I was going to get a chance to talk to to Johnny Bench. And then something happened. His plane was delayed. I don't remember what it was. It was right around the All Star Game um, in Cincinnati. I think it was a Cincinnati All Star Game. Actually, it may have been a different All Star Game, but it was right around the All Star Game. And never got to reconnect for that one. That was uh, that's still on the bucket list, I guess. But we've got a few of those, right? I, I would like to get Dave Parker. I knew that's who you're going to mention. Oh, it'd be a great. Now, I, I know that Dave is is suffering with the. Some Parkinson's, and, and I don't know how that's affected his speech. Uh, but if he could at all, if he if he'd be willing, I I would sure love to to sit down and, and talk to Dave Parker about his career both before and with the Reds. Yeah, what a career and what a life. I mean, he's well, he was the Reds' first big free agent signing. Yeah, and a successful and, one, huge one. Why was he a heck of a player when he was yeah. playing for the Reds? What and a then, comeback story. And then who'd they trade him for? You remember was, Ho- he, was that the Jose Rio? Jose trade? Rio, Jose Rio, and Tim Burtzis. Was it just for Parker? Or did somebody go with Parker? I know? think it was just Parker. I think. And he was. They, a, he still had a couple of good years left out yeah. in Oakland, if I remember right. Oh yeah, he was a designated hitter out there and, and still still produced. So yeah, so we got a lot of time left on this. We're going to keep doing this uh, at least every week, and uh, so we've had a fun run. I've, I had a really good time going back and looking at all the times that you and I have gotten together specifically. Ed uh, said a lot of dumb things and, you know, had a lot of fun doing it. 
Well, that's my job saying dumb things. And you're very, very good at it, Bill. I, 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 I awake at night thinking of dumb things to say. <laughs> and I, hope, I hope you're writing some of those down so you can say them in future episodes of Red Leg Nation Radio. Thanks to everyone who's downloaded and listened. Uh, I say it all the time, and I do mean it. I don't know why you've got so many things you can do with your time and why you would download and listen to us uh, ramble. It baffles me, and it makes me so uh, appreciative of you guys. And, and I didn't really realize until recently with these book signings how many of you are actually out there. I mean, I see sort of, so, so, see the numbers, but I, you know, it didn't really hit with me until I, you guys were coming out to the book signings and saying hi. And I just, every single one of you did that. Very special to me, and I really appreciate that. Um, and uh, you know, keep listening. Tell your friends about us. Uh, subscribe uh, if you haven't subscribed yet. Go subscribe at iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you need. You find your podcast. You'll find Red Leg Nation Radio. We keep moving up the charts at uh, iTunes. So if you and it helps so if, if you leave a. A rating for us. Give us a five-star rating if, if you feel like that's the appropriate thing to do. If you don't think we're a five-star podcast, keep your mouth shut. I'm at Red Lake Nation. Your fingers off the keyboard. Absolutely. We're at RedLegNation.com every single day. We have been since 2005, and uh, we're going to keep going at RedLegNation.com as long as we can. And uh, you can follow at Red Lake Nation on Twitter. I'm at Dotson C. You don't hang out much on Twitter anymore, do you, Bill? I don't do much Twitter. At Bill Red Leg N. Is, uh, is his handle if you want to go follow Bill. Um, and again, come to Red Leg Nation every day. Bill, man, it's so much fun talking to you every time, and this time was particularly spectacular. Thank you so much. It's always a good time, my friend. I will talk to you soon, I'm sure. Can't wait. For Bill Lack, right, for Bill Lack and Lisa Alberto Bonilla, this is Chad Dotson saying so long, everyone. Thanks for listening to Red Leg Nation Radio from RedLegNation.com. Subscribe to Red Leg Nation Radio on iTunes or through your favorite podcast app. And join us for discussion of all things Reds at RedLegNation.com. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week.